Okay, let's pray. I want to ask God to meet us as we open up his, his word this morning. Thank you so much for the truth of your word, Lord. And I pray that you would use these words that you had Luke write years ago, 2,000 years ago, to deepen us in our understanding of Christmas, to strengthen our trust in you, Lord Jesus Christ, to encourage us with all that we have in you as our Messiah. So I pray that you'd come. Help me to be clear and give me the right heart and the right wisdom. And I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would come. I pray that you would save people today who maybe never bent the knee before you, Lord Jesus, that today that would happen, that they would trust you and love you and respond to you. So do that, we ask now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Good. So Christmas is the time, as you know, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, our, our Lord and our Savior and our heart-satisfying treasure. This is the time we celebrate his birth 2,000 years ago, little town of Bethlehem. It's a wonderful time of year. And so what we're doing here at Mercy Hill is we are doing a four-part teaching where we're studying what Luke taught about Jesus' birth. And last week we saw Luke tell us about an angel going to Zechariah, and he told Zechariah that his wife, they were both well past childbearing years, this angel told Zechariah that his wife was going to get pregnant and was going to give birth to John the Baptist, who the Old Testament had foretold would be the one preparing the way for the Messiah. So John the Baptist is going to be born, which means the Messiah is coming. That's what we talked about last week. And now, in this next passage in Luke, he tells us about that same angel going to Mary and giving her a a shocking announcement, which we're going to look at in a moment. But before we look at what this shocking announcement is, I want us to understand how Mary would have heard the angel's announcement. That is, I want us to ask the question, what did Mary already know about the coming Messiah? What did she already know about his coming? And to answer that, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to get to Luke, but right now let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand. It's important for us that you all have a Bible you can look on with. We're going to be studying many verses in the scriptures, Isaiah and then in Luke chapter 1. So keep your hand raised so that you can have a Bible that you can look at this morning. And Isaiah 9 is on page 573 And the Bibles were passing out. So Isaiah chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Now here's why. Mary was a a Jewish, young Jewish girl who would have been steeped in the Old Testament scriptures. Both her father and then at the in, in the synagogue, she would have been somebody learning the scriptures, hearing the scriptures, studying the scriptures, especially the scriptures about the Messiah's coming, prophecies about the Messiah. And so, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm almost certain that she would have, amongst other passages, studied, pondered, prayed over, read, enjoyed, anticipated what Isaiah prophesies in verses 6 and 7. Let's look at what these are. This is what would have been in Mary's mind, most certainly, about the coming Messiah. Look at what is prophesied. This is 700 B.C., 700 years before Christ's birth, Isaiah wrote these words. For to us, 
a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the governments shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Think about that. This child, this son born, his name, Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Mary would have known that in the future the Messiah was going to be born as a baby boy. She would have known that. That although he was going to be born as a baby, he was going to be called Mighty God. In some way, this baby was going to be fully God. She would have known that this baby was going to be a king in the line of David, but not just any ordinary king. His kingdom would have no end. Forever, he would reign as king. So Mary would have had thoughts like this in her mind. That's what she already would have been thinking. That plus many, many other prophecies. So with that in mind now, let's ask... What did the angel tell Mary? And look at Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Turn there. Way to your right. That's on page 855 in the Bibles we passed out. What did the angel tell Mary? The angel gives Mary a shocking announcement. Let's take a look. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels there to the right of Isaiah. Page 855 in the Bibles we just passed out. Start reading in verse 26. In the sixth month, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Remember Elizabeth who was pregnant with John the Baptist? So this is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever And of his kingdom, there will be no end. So here's what the angel has told Mary. You're going to conceive and bear a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He'll be great and called the son of the most high. He'll be the son of God. God will give him the throne of his father, David. He'll reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will have no end. So the angels just told all this to Mary. And then look at Mary's response, verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, 
since I am a virgin. Now think about that response. Mary does not say, what's this about a baby being born who's going to be a king in the line of David, whose kingdom will never end? She doesn't ask that question because she knows that's going to happen. Notice she doesn't ask about that. She knows that's going to happen at some point in time. So her question was not, will this happen? Her question was, how will this happen since I'm a virgin? See, that's her question. Not, will this happen? How will this happen since I'm a virgin? Now, let's talk about the virgin birth a little bit. I would guess that some of you don't believe in the virgin birth. And we are glad you're here this morning, hoping you're going to be convinced and persuaded by this, okay? But we are glad you're here. This is a very important topic to ponder, to consider. And and I mean, one of the reasons you'd have a hard time believing in the virgin birth is it just doesn't happen all the time, right? Okay, like... Maybe once you're thinking, maybe. Give give me some grace here, okay? But here's what I want you to think about. Ponder this. Here's the question. How can we account for the fact that everything is here? A universe is here. This beautiful earth is here. You are here alive right now with an amazing body and that you have consciousness and that you're listening to sounds coming out of my mouth, and you're you're thinking I'm saying something meaningful, and we're you know you got a book in front of you with words. I mean, how did this all get here? Something amazing has happened, right? And there's only only two possibilities. I don't think this is simplistic. I think this, I mean, it, just really really two. One is it all happened by chance. Okay, somehow, random actions and reactions, chemical, whatever, over eons and eons and eons of time. And here we are. It's one possibility. It all came about by chance. The other possibility is it came, out, came about by a being's purpose. There's a purpose, which implies a being. And a being who would bring about all of this with a purpose is an infinitely powerful being. He's God. Chance or God? And when you look at the the design in us and the fact that we are beings who believe there's right and there's wrong and there's beauty and there's truth, not just random actions and reactions, but that there's meaning and purposefulness here. And again, all the evidence for design and creativity, I think the case is closed. I think the evidence all points to the fact that there's a creator. God. And because there's a God who was able to create all this and who was able to create Adam out of the dust, there's no problem with him causing Mary to get pregnant without sexual relations. You see that? If God made all of this, a virgin birth is no problem. Anybody see that? You look like you're all in shock. Okay, there's, there's like no problem. He can do that with one hand tied behind his back. I mean, that's easy if he created all this. So if there's a God, and I believe all the evidence points to the fact that, he, that there is, virgin birth is not a problem. It's not a problem. And that's what the angel says happened in verse 35. The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, 
the child to be born will be called the Holy Son of God. So Mary will get pregnant by God's power. No sexual relations involved. And the child born to her will be, will be fully man. I want you to picture this. And fully God. I mean, think about this. This, this is a mind-blowing, heart-filling, worship-stirring truth. That the baby born to Mary would be like no other baby who had ever been born. Think about it. No other baby has ever been born fully man, but because by God's power born of a virgin, fully God. The baby Jesus was fully God. This baby Jesus was God who has always been from eternity past. I mean, imagine Mary holding him, having thoughts like this. Always been from eternity past. The one through whom the entire universe was created. Who has infinite power. Perfect in love and goodness and justice, and righteousness, and holiness. The baby Jesus, as Paul said, the fullness, the fullness of deity dwelt in him bodily. The baby Jesus is God. Let that just blow your mind. Stir your heart. Quicken worship and praise. Virgin born Jesus, born of a virgin, laid in a manger. The fact that the God who's created everything was born here on earth as a baby changes everything. Changes everything. God was born as a baby. That's what Luke tells us here. The angel told Mary. Now, keep reading in verse 36. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Not you, Mary, as a virgin getting pregnant, and not Elizabeth becoming pregnant in her old age. Nothing will be impossible with God. And then look at Mary's response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Some of you... This needs to be your verse for this morning. Some of you, I can relate to this too, some of the struggles, some of the worries, some of the fears, some of the difficulties will be addressed if, if you will see who God is in the person of Jesus and say, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Surrender 
to God's will through Jesus Christ brings peace, brings contentment. That's a crucial verse that the Lord wants to speak, especially to some of you this morning. Behold, she says, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Now at this point in the story, Luke wants to give his readers, us, confirmation that this baby in Mary's womb really is the Messiah who who is fully man and fully God. And to, to give us this confirmation, I love where he goes next. He tells us what happens when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. Okay, so how do Elizabeth and her baby respond to Mary? That's the next question I want us to look at. And look what Luke says in verses 39 to 45. How do Elizabeth and her baby respond to Mary? Verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her, it's Elizabeth's, womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Okay, so do you see how Elizabeth and her baby respond to Mary? Verse 41, this is how the baby responds. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth explains that. In verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your Mary's greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Now remember who Elizabeth's baby is. This is John the Baptist, who was sent to be a forerunner of Jesus Christ, to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. His longing was to prepare people. His joy was going to be to to see Jesus coming. And so when he hears Mary, John the Baptist, in the womb, we read last week he was filled with the Holy Spirit while in the womb, He is leaping for joy because Jesus is coming. And so Luke wants to highlight that so that we'll see Mary's baby is Jesus, the Messiah, who will be fully man and fully God. And look at how Elizabeth responds. That's how her baby responds. John, look at how she responds. Verse 43, this is powerful. She says, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She calls Mary the mother of her, Elizabeth's Lord. Elizabeth is saying that Mary's baby is my Lord. Now that word Lord is a lot, it's a broad word in in, in the Greek language. It's a broad range of meanings. So what does it mean here? Well, consider the fact that in Luke, he's already used this word Lord in his gospel ten times. Before this point, he's already used the word Lord ten times. And each time it refers to God. God. And so Luke's point here is by showing us how the baby responds and how Elizabeth responds, his point is to confirm to us that Mary's baby is the Messiah, fully man and fully God. 
One last question that Luke wants to address. How does Mary now respond to all this? That's how Elizabeth and her baby respond. How does Mary respond? And there's this powerful passage in verses 46 through 55, 56, where Mary has a song of words of praise. This is called the Magnificat. And I would encourage you to read this, to ponder this, to think about this. Look at how Mary responds. There's really You can break it down into three parts. First, she praises God for doing great, great things for a humble, lowly, undeserving girl like her. Start in verse 46. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Now think of this great thing that God has done for Mary. He has chosen Mary to give birth to, to bring into the world, the Messiah. Fully man, fully God. Mary was chosen by God to bring the Messiah into the world. That is a great honor and privilege and calling. Feel that? But in these verses, Mary not only says that this is, this is a great thing God has done, she says this is a completely undeserving thing for me to receive. Notice she talks about the humble estate that she has. God looked upon her humble estate. She knows she does not deserve this. Now why? Well, notice that she calls God her Savior in verse 47. Did you catch that? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She understands she needs a Savior. Mary understands that she, like all of us, has sinned and turned her back against God. She understands that, like all of us. The Old Testament taught that clearly. One of the clearest messages of the Old Testament is that we've all turned our backs against God. You have, I have, Mary has. And so Mary knew that she needed a Savior. But see, Mary had humbled herself before God, her Savior, and said, I'm sorry. And God has looked down upon her trust in him, and he forgave her because of what the Messiah would do in dying on the cross to pay for sins. That's how Mary got forgiven. And so Mary's been completely forgiven, clothed with perfect righteousness. God's poured his love and his grace and his mercy upon her. She knows the Lord God. She sees God's done something great for her, and she's giving him praise. So God has saved her as undeserving, as unworthy as she is. And not only has God saved her, he has called her to give birth to the Messiah. And so Mary just says, I praise you for doing such great things for someone completely undeserving as me. And see, that, that's who God is. You've got to understand this about God. What's your picture of God? God loves to do beautiful, great matchless, awesome things for completely undeserving people. So if you feel like undeserving of God at this, at this, if you're at this gathering here, you're feeling undeserving of God, you're, in, you're exactly right. You are. And I am. And it's the people who realize that they are undeserving because of our sin who then will humble themselves before God and put trust in Him. Then, because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. But you know, I'm getting way ahead of myself here. This is, this is the next point. 
So first, Mary's talking about herself in 46 to 49. But then second, she talks about what God does for, for everyone. Not just for her. This is for everyone. She praises God for doing great things for those who humble themselves before God and admit their need. And she praises him for sending away the proud who won't admit their need. Verses 50 to 53. Start with verse 50. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Now that idea of fearing God, that may be a little puzzling to you, and a lot of people misunderstand what it means to fear God. Fearing God does not mean that you run away from God. What fearing God means is that you understand the sheer weightiness and what's at stake in there being a God. Okay, It means you realize there is a God. Just, just ponder. There is a God who's created you. And he holds your destiny, your eternal destiny, in his hands. This is huge. There is a God who made me, who holds my eternal destiny in his hands. And he has made a way for you to be completely forgiven for all the wrong you have done, still in you, and will do. Through Jesus Christ, the Messiah, crucified on the cross, paying for our sins, God has made a way for you to be completely forgiven and reconciled to him. Clothed with Jesus' righteousness, loved by God, adopted into his family, he has made a way for you to do that. So there is a God, he holds your eternal destiny in his hands, he's made a way for you to be completely forgiven and restored to him. And then do you feel what's at stake now in how you're going to respond to him? Are you going to bend the knee before him and say, like with Mary, look at my humble estate. I'm an unworthy and deserving sinner. Save me. Forgive me. Help me. Wash me through what Jesus Christ does. Change my heart. Fill me with your love and your spirit. Help me. Save me. When you do that, then you'll be completely forgiven. So fearing God doesn't mean you run from God. It means you understand all this and you run to God through Jesus Christ. So it means to fear God. That's, that's all on verse 50 there. And then he pours his mercy out upon us when we fear him in that way. Verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Underline that word proud. That's a sobering verse. Those who humble themselves before God, admitting their sinfulness, receiving all that he's done through the Messiah, Jesus, forgiveness of sins, heart change, heart satisfaction in knowing him. Those who humble themselves before God and trust him, he'll pour mercy out upon us. That's verse 50. But the proud, the proud who will not bend the knee before God, who will not bend the knee before the Lord Jesus and say, forgive me, I need to be saved. I need a savior. I need the Messiah. Those who won't do that, then he will scatter them. Verse 52. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. So those who trust in thrones and political power, those who trust in money, God will destroy It's right there. But those who are humble before God, those who are humble before God and hungry for God, 
He will exalt them. And he will satisfy them. 52 and 53. So she praises God for showing mercy to the humble who express their need. And she praises God for scattering the proud who won't humble themselves before him. And then third, she praises God for fulfilling his promise of mercy to Israel. Look at verses 54 and 55. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So all through the Old Testament, God had promised Israel that he would send the Messiah. He would come to earth in the person of the Messiah who would live and die, suffer for their sins so they could be forgiven, who would, who would rise from the dead, Isaiah 53 teaches, and that through the Messiah, God would free Israel, people in Israel, from their sins, change their hearts, bring them into relationship with him. God said he would do this through sending the Messiah. He is sending the Messiah. Mary says, praise you for fulfilling your promises to the people of Israel. Beautiful. Now, I want to point out that all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's not just Israel that gets the benefit of the Messiah. Starting all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, we read that it's all the people groups. God works through the Messiah, through Israel, to all the people groups. So whether you're Jewish or whether you're Gentile, okay, this morning, you can get in on what God has done in the person of the the Messiah. What Mary says about Israel in 54 and 55 can be true for, for all of us. So that's how Mary responds to this powerful message that the angel gives. And in the last verse, 56, Mary remained with her, with Elizabeth, about three months and returned to her home. Now, Luke wants to end with how Mary responds. I think, as I I studied this passage, as I pondered it and prayed over it, I think the reason that Luke wants to end here with, with Mary's response is because Luke wants to have his readers have a question kind of ringing in our minds. And Mary has just responded by saying, God, I praise you that you show mercy to those who humble themselves and admit their need of you, and you scatter, you cast away, you send away, you punish those who, who are proud. And the question that Luke wants in our minds and hearts right now is, are you proud? Are you turning your back on God? Are you refusing to bend the knee before God and his Messiah, Jesus? Are you refusing to acknowledge that that you've sinned against God and that you do justly deserve punishment from him? Are you refusing to acknowledge those things and trying to live independent from God? Luke wants you to, to, to ponder that question. Are you proudly resisting God and his Messiah, Jesus? Or are you humbling yourself before God and his Messiah? I mean, just, just search your heart this morning. Are you owning up to the fact that you have sinned against God? I have. You have. I have this morning. You have too this morning. Okay? We have. Are you, are you humbling yourself with that reality that you've sinned against God? And are you acknowledging that before God? And are you seeing what he has done in the Messiah? That through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, this is beautiful. You can be completely forgiven for all your sins. He will change your heart. He will change your heart 
Break the power of sin. Start to change it. You will feel change happening. You're thinking, I could never be somebody who's spiritual, never love God. It's just not in me. Of course, it's not in you. That's right. But he will put that in you. He will change you. He will change you. You don't change yourself first before you come to him. You come to him as you are. He changes you. You come humbly as you are, unchanged. Help me. Forgive me. He will change you. I promise you. He'll forgive you. He'll change you. And he will satisfy you. He will pour his love into your heart so strongly that for the first time in your life, you will be filled with the joy you were created to know. The joy of knowing God. So if Luke was here this morning, this is the question he'd want to be posing to you. He'd say, this is why I wrote this this section about the angel coming to Mary and about her response is so that you would ask, am I proud in my response to God? Or am I being like Mary? Am I humbling myself before God, acknowledging what he has done through the Messiah, trusting him to forgive me, change me, and satisfy me? Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you bring your power upon us right now. And I pray, Lord, that you would let the truth of this passage so strongly resonate in our hearts. The truth of the Messiah, fully man, fully God, born of a virgin, to live and teach and work miracles displaying who he is and then dying on the cross to pay for our sins and rising from the dead to show it's all true. Lord, have these truths just resonating in our hearts right now. And I pray that you would conquer any pride that's keeping anyone here from humbling themselves before you. Please, Lord, move upon us now. Give all of us, or those who've already come to know you and any here who have not, but give all of us just a fresh sense of, yes, Lord, I've sinned against you. Thank you for the Messiah. Thank you for the baby born of the Virgin Mary, fully man, fully God. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And just in a fresh way, look to Jesus Christ and trust him. Trust him now. Trust him to forgive. Trust him to change. Trust him to satisfy you. And if you're in a place right now, or maybe this is the, the first time you've ever considered doing this, I would like to lead you in a prayer. A, a prayer of you're wanting to humble yourself for the first time before God and put your trust in the Messiah and be saved. And So if, if that's what you want to do, just in your own, in the, in the quietness of your own heart, Just silently repeat this after me. Lord God, thank you for sending the Messiah. Thank you for your providing a way for me to be forgiven. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross to pay for sin. And thank you for rising from the dead to show that it's all true. Forgive me for my sin. I'm sorry I've had my back turned towards you. I'm turning towards you now. Trusting you to forgive me.
I'm trusting you, Jesus Christ, to, to change me. I need to be changed. Change me. Change my heart. Free me. I'm trusting you now to fill me with your love, your felt presence. Fill me as you promised to do. Thank you for your work of saving me. So I pray, Father, for your saving work to be poured out in this room right now. Lord, I pray for the rest who've already been trusting you, who've already trusted you, that that as we move into this week now, we would worship you, love you, obey you, follow you, speak of you, glorify you with all our hearts because of the truth of who you are, our Messiah. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.